Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Tuesday, September 19th. Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson Smith. Our producer is Christian Ryan and Ben as we record this on Tuesday morning. Uh, it's been a week, it's been a month, it's been a year. It was like nine days ago, I suppose, uh, that Sunday when the Blue Jays swept the Kansas City Royals, that Kevin Kiermeyer took the mic from my very own hands and did his Howard Dean thing, cut a promo, said, we're going all the way, baby. Four days after that, Blue Jays have been swept by the Rangers, like not just beaten in four games, but deconstructed thoroughly and comprehensively over four of the worst games you're going to see this team play all season long. Uh, And I heard the season was over at that point. Lo and behold, three games later, three wins over the Boston Red Sox, two of them in a walk-off fashion, a series sweep. And as we sit here right now today, the Blue Jays are in the second wildcard spot in the American League. How do you make odds and ends of it? Oh, I can't start to. I think like when you look at the last eight, nine days for this team, it's been so many highs and lows. And I think even like at the end of that Rangers series, things legitimately looked really bleak. Like the Blue Jays played so badly. They cost themselves so much ground in the standings. I think it was pretty fair at that point to say like, this is not looking good. Like they're probably not going to make it. And then all of a sudden the weekend goes like exactly according to plan even on the out-of-town scoreboard, like perfectly according to plan. They're not playing amazing still. They're playing probably more, you know, pretty good than great, but they're in a really good spot. And that's undeniable at this point with 12 games left. They are definitely likely to make the playoffs. That can shift really fast. They could lose it within a couple days. But right now, as we record this on Tuesday, they are in a very, very good spot. You mentioned it, 12 games left. It's a 12-game season from this point forward. And we'll look back a little bit and talk about what happened against the Red Sox, talk about what happened against the Rangers. But like, just looking forward to these 12 games, the way that I see it, I think that if you go 6-6, six and six, things are going to be kind of dicey. You're really going to be watching the out-of-town scoreboard and needing some help from other places. If you go 7-5, and five, which I think is honestly realistic over these next 12, like say you go 4-2 and two against the Yankees and 3-3 three and three against the Rays, I think you're good. Like I think that you can feel pretty good about that. You're at 90 wins. I think you have a very high likelihood of being a postseason team at that point. If you go 5-7, and seven, probably not good enough. Uh, you're really going to need a lot of luck at that point. And then if you go like eight and four, you're laughing like you're home free. You might be starting Bowden Francis on the final day of the season and saving Kevin Gosman for game one of the wildcard series. But is that how it kind of falls to you that like that's how thin the margins are and how much this could come down to just one or two games where it's the difference between seven and five or five and seven could be the difference between this team playing in October and not. Oh, yeah. And I think like the difference between, like you said, burning Gosman or not, the difference between going to Tampa or going to Minnesota, it's almost certainly going to come down to that final weekend. So, you know, we might be looking at one call by an umpire or one play at the plate, one instant replay decision overturned. Like this is how close it's going to be, even though the Jays are in a great position. And, you know, to look at the records here, 
Like if they go eight and four, they are in. Mathematically, they will be in the playoffs if they go eight and four, which is, you know, that's a big ask. They're playing one really, really good team in the Rays and one okay team in the Yankees. I think like seven and five, they're going to be in. I, I think even six and six, they're going to be in. And then five and seven, it starts to get a little dicier. You start to need a little bit of help on the scoreboard. But with Texas and Seattle still playing seven games head to head, you know one of those teams has at least four losses coming, maybe more. So it does help the Jays at this point, but they can't keep relying on the out-of-town scoreboard for help. They've just got to take care of business and, like you said, win seven of the next 12, and then you've taken care of it yourself, and you're probably in a pretty good position on that final day of the season. Yeah, you'd think that with those two teams having so many games remaining against one another, Texas and Seattle, that one of them would be capped at like 90, 91 wins, you know, just depending on how things break out, like ultimately one of them is going to end up in that range you don't know which one it's going to be uh but that would be like the max that they could do so if you're the blue jays it's like just get to 91 and you should be home free i think that 90 would probably be fine i kind of put that dicey range at six and six honestly like I, i know you thought that like six and six would probably be good enough i think that might get a little dicey I don't know, man. We'll see. Like, if you're the Blue Jays, all you can focus on really is just what's going on with you and your team and your effort and your contributions. Like, you really do just have to focus on the games that are in front of you because, look, they're not going to be easy. You know, certainly not against the Rays, who are still very much competing for first place in the American League East. And, like, that's really meaningful the difference between having a first round bye and having to uh, host a wild card series. And then even the Yankees, I mean, you know, they're blooding a bunch of young players at the big league level right now they're playing well lately there is some animosity between the yankees and blue jays so you know the yankees aren't going to roll over and you know aren't going to you know give anything less than uh you know their best effort in these series they're gonna be trying to win these games and you're likely going to get garrett cole twice and that's a guy who right now is pitching to cap off what's likely a Cy young season so like all of your opponents have plenty to play for and these 12 games are not going to be easy. It's entirely possible that the Blue Jays go four and eight over these 12. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility if they don't show up and they don't do everything they can to win these games. Like it has to be taken with the utmost seriousness. Yeah, exactly. Four and eight. It is possible. Like we, anyone who watched the Rangers, and I'm assuming that's you know most of our listeners, because it, it was a pretty compelling, if devastating series for the Blue Jays. And by compelling, I just mean, you couldn't help but keep an eye on it because it was just spiraling. But um, yeah, like they could definitely go four and eight. They're still not hitting very well. Like you look at that Red Sox series, Boston out hit them in two of the three games. It's not like the Jays scored, I think it was 10 runs the entire series. So it's not like they were out there with the bats just like clicking on all cylinders. Even Brandon Belt, who objectively speaking on a per plate appearance basis has been their best hitter this year. And deep into right field. He's still on the injured list, so you're not a very good offensive team. I'm not saying they're bad, but they're not a particularly good offensive team. And so, yeah, they could go 4-8, and and then at that point, it's all AL West, and the Jays are a forgotten note, and it would be a pretty (laughs) devastating finish. But I think they're, you know, they're a good team. Again, we've talked about this all year. They're not a 
great team necessarily, but they're good enough to finish six and six. I do think they make it in. And then, you know, you could get into some really interesting, you know, three game situations against most likely Tampa or Minnesota. But like you said, it might not be Tampa. It could be Baltimore because Tampa and Baltimore are still playing for that American League East, which in turn makes those games against Tampa very difficult for the Jays because there will be a lot at stake for everyone involved. Yeah, I think the most likely is one of those somewhere from five and seven to seven and five, like one of those uh, one of those three outcomes, five and seven, six and six, seven and five. I think that's most likely, but I really can't rule out four and eight at this point. I I think it's all going to come down to how the Blue Jays pitch as it has all season long. Like you mentioned, the Blue Jays scored only 10 runs in three games against Boston and swept a series. They scored nine runs in four games against Texas and got swept. So you're talking about four games against Texas where you scored nine, three games against Boston where you scored 10 extremely different outcomes to those two series. What was the big difference? Well, the Blue Jays allowed nine runs or more in three of their four games against Texas. I mean, Chris Bassett did not have a strong outing. Hunjin Ryu was fine. You say Kikuchi gave up a couple home runs. Kevin Gosman gave up a couple home runs and walked six. And then meanwhile, the Blue Jays bullpen in that series had like an ERA over 10, gave up 17 earned over 15 innings. I mean, like the the Blue Jays just did not pitch well at all in that series, Uh, but they did against Boston. Held the Red Sox to only five runs, stranded a a ton of base runners made some really big pitches and some really big spots danced out of jams repeatedly uh, and also just like pitched well from a starting pitching standpoint so I think that's going to be barring the unforeseen barring somebody getting extremely hot and carrying the offense over these final couple of weeks it's going to come down to how the Blue Jays pitch which really has been the story of this season yeah and I mean they do have Vlad Jr pretty hot at the plate he looked great in that Red Sox series homering in three straight from Thursday to Saturday Vladimir Guerrero Jr. he's had some really good at bats and really recovered you know after some pretty tough at bats even very recently uh, but he's swinging the bat really well right now but you don't have a lot of guys who are at all. And, you know, you get to the bottom of that order, it can look pretty suspect on a regular, regular basis. I mean, if Kevin Biggio is like your second or third best hitter, I mean, all due respect to Kevin Biggio, he's been a really important player on this team this year, but this team was not designed for him to be your second or third best hitter for a week at a time. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think it comes down to the pitching. So no pressure, Chris Bassett, now past a career <laughs> high in innings, or Kevin Gosman, who's you know been grinding all year. Jose Barrios, who's who's been phenomenal. Like, yeah, it's on them. It's on them as it has been all season long. I think it's possible because this is a really talented group having a good year that these guys can continue to be the driving force behind the Jays' success. But I, I think that's likely going to have to continue to be the case here. Yeah, Vlad getting and staying hot would be uh, a pretty big one. I just, you know, I keep going back to kind of like the ambivalence of his season, like just the strangeness, the dichotomy of, you know, seeing him hit the three homers that he did over the last four or five games, whenever that three-game stretch was that he homered three times, right? Like he just absolutely smoked one off Nate Avaldi. He got Brian Bayo with a screamer, and then he had like one of the more bizarre home runs I think I've ever seen him hit where 
he reaches out like one-handed to clip this Chris Sale slider off the plate. He's like leaned over and not in an athletic position at all and somehow has the ability to take that pitch over the left field wall. Like that's just absolutely special power, but that's also like the furthest outside pitch Guerrero has ever hit for a home run in the majors. So like that was just like one of the more bonkers ones I think I've seen, but... Regardless, like if he can continue to get those kind of results and if he can tap into his power better at the plate than he has earlier in the season, then that's going to be huge for the Blue Jays. But I continue to see the issues against like middle, middle pitches that he should be barreling, um, you know, hung sliders and pretty underwhelming fastballs. They're catching a ton of plate that he's either taking or swinging through or fouling off. Even when he is having these like screaming homers off of Aldi and Bayo, we are still seeing him at times overmatched by fastballs that he shouldn't be overmatched by. And you just look at Vladdy against fastballs this year. He's hitting like 278. Uh, he's got 10 homers off of them. This is a guy who absolutely demolished fastballs, uh, particularly in 2021, his MVP year. But even last year, even in 2022, 17 homers off fastballs hit 291. Those numbers have decreased substantially. I can't make odds or ends of it, Ben, but it seems like often it's not just like game to game. Sometimes it can be plate appearance to plate appearance where Vlad goes from looking extremely locked in and competitive against his pitch and making good swing decisions and uh, selecting pitches with a high degree of professionalism to another plate appearance where he's waving at pitches where I haven't seen him wave at them before it's almost shocking some of the pitches that he chases it, it seems to be almost a plate appearance to plate appearance thing that at uh, times there is some inconsistency there for sure i think you know this jays team as a whole they haven't done great against fastballs they haven't done great against fastballs down the middle it is definitely a, a season of missed opportunities when it comes to those some of those middle middle heaters but yeah with with vladdy like i think sometimes in the last week he's been guessing right And that's great. Like that's part of being a good hitter is guessing right. And you're not always going to guess right. But I think that against Bayo, he had a pretty good sense of fastball was going to be coming and he absolutely crushed it. And against Sale, Sale's slider was so nasty or curveball with slider. The slow breaking ball he was throwing was so effective against the Blue Jays all day. And I think he had a pretty good sense that Sale was probably going to throw him one right there. And then off balance or not, he was able to hammer it. So if you can keep kind of guessing right, then I think that can work for him. I don't think that's necessarily a problem. We saw him against LeClerc in the Rangers series miss a couple 97 middle-middle heaters. To me, I'm like, it's a little frustrating if it's, you know, down the middle. But at the end of the day, that's why these guys are coming out of the bullpen throwing 97. It's, you know, you're still able, if you're a relief pitcher with that kind of velocity, you can overpower guys even if you miss location. So, I think that we're going to see that continue, and I think that's fine. Even if Vladdy misses some pitches down the middle, that's okay. He can still be really productive, and I think he's having more fun. Like, watching him, he looks to be really a little bit more relaxed than he was a few weeks ago, seems to really be enjoying this, making some really good defensive plays. So I think Vladdy's in a pretty good place. I don't know if it uh, picked up on my mic or not, but my dog absolutely hated the point that you just made, (laughs) Uh, and he... uh, he voiced his displeasure with it. 
when we've seen Vlad move around the lineup a little bit, and I, I kind of wonder where you fall on the importance of uh, of this particular phenomenon in the Blue Jays season. Like they have not been getting production from the cleanup spot in their batting order at all at any point this year. And it's like really stuck out to me lately when David Schneider's been in there every day and he's riding quite a slump right now, despite, you know, look, he barreled some balls and got really unlucky um, on the Saturday. Was it against yep. Boston? Was yeah, it was that the Late. one where it was like, right, that tight game. And it was like, you know, there was a, a liner in the eighth, a liner in the 10th and a liner in the 13th. And in each one yeah. of them, there was like runners in scoring <laughs> position and a tie game. And he did you know, his job an XBA of like 500 plus and, you know, exit velos at a hundred, whatever, like he barreled some balls, but Davis Schneider is like definitely like in a slump results wise right now. He's been hitting cleanup for this team. Um, and I certainly don't think that like getting a, a certain amount of production out of any one spot, in the batting order is the most critical thing to a team's success, but your number four hitter does take the fourth most played appearances over the course of a season. And you just look at some of the statistics from that spot. The Blue Jays have a 412 slug from the number four spot in their batting order. That ranks 23rd across baseball. They have 19 home runs. That also ranks 23rd. They have 66 runs batted in by their cleanup hitter this year. That ranks dead last, 30th. OPS ranks 19th. Isolated power ranks 19th. I mean, everything is below average from the spot in the batting order where you've seen guys like Matt Chapman cycle through. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was there. Davis Schneider recently. Dalton Varsho started the year hitting there. What, what do you kind of make of the just the, the fact that the Blue Jays really are not getting production from the heart of their order right now? Well, and I'll even add to that. If you look at what they've gotten from their leadoff hitters this year, it's a two fifty seven batting average and it's a three eighteen on base percentage, which not good. So, you know, to me, it's just they haven't had great hitters and they haven't had hitters having great seasons. I mean, you can say what you will about George Springer. He's obviously had a really good track record as a major league hitter. He's not having a good year. So, you know, when you have that paired with some injuries, paired with some underperforming players, there are a lot of spots in this order where the Jays just haven't had enough production and it's been hard for them to consistently stack four really good hitters, let alone, you know, seven, eight, nine really good hitters. It's been hard to even have four on a consistent basis that you feel really good about at bat to at bat. And so that's not to say that they can't put up five or six and get by. And, you know, I understand in the context of Major League Baseball, they are not awful. They are not an awful offense, but they're not especially good. And so I think that's reflected when you look at some of these splits by batting order position. And it's unlikely to get better in the postseason because what's what happens in the playoffs? Well, like all the bad pitching staffs go away. Yep. And then of the pitching staffs that remain, there's no more like fifth starters. There's no more low leverage bullpen guys. Like you don't see the opposition starter a third time as much, if at all. You typically see the opposition starter twice and then you're seeing some reliever with like high velocity and a wicked breaking ball who is like optimally matched up to attack this particular pocket of your batting order. Like the degree of difficulty rises. So, you know, the teams that the Blue Jays have beat up on offensively this year, whether it's like the Rock 
Rockies at Coors, or you know, we saw him score a bunch against Oakland and Washington. You're not going to see those pitching staffs. Like you're not going to see those guys in the postseason. The degree of difficulty is only going to get higher. So it's hard to imagine that like the Blue Jays are suddenly going to begin clicking and firing on all cylinders offensively as you get late into September and early into October, and the Blue Jays hope well into October. Um, it's just not something that is it's easy to predict right now. Yeah, so I think they're probably going to play a lot of close games, and that's that's fine because their bullpen's actually awesome. And I think you know they deserve credit for putting together a bullpen that looks really really good. So that should keep them in it as it did this weekend and kind of setting up those walk offs. But I think like to me, I think there's got to be a little concern about their base running. I don't think their base running's been very good at all, and I think that as they proceed here throughout these really close games, they got to clean some stuff up on that front. Yeah, totally. The Blue Jays, I thought, would be a pretty good base running team entering this uh, season just based on personnel. They really haven't been. I'll make one more point on offense in the postseason and why I think it's just like a really worrying thing for this team. Are you familiar with the Guillen number? You heard that concept before? I don't think so. So it's named after Ozzy Guillen, uh, and this is like an old Joe Sheen thing. And it's essentially the percentage of your runs that are scored via home run. That's what the Guillen number is. And we know that like the Blue Jays have had this really like confounding lack of home runs this year and, and lack of power in general. I mean, Vlad might get to 25 this year. We'll see, but it's entirely possible. The Blue Jays don't have a 25 home run hitter. They might only have like a couple of 20 home run hitters. Um, and I just think that where that could really be troublesome is in the postseason because the Guillen number, the like percentage of runs scored via home run increases pretty dramatically in the postseason. Like in the yep. playoffs, you really do have to hit home runs in order to score, in order to succeed. It's really hard to string together hits in the postseason. So you can look at last postseason and the percentage of runs scored via home runs. The Guillen number in the regular season, it was around 38%. In the postseason, it was 49%. So we're talking about an increase of 11%. Same thing in 2021, it was around 40% in the regular season, up again to close to 50% in the postseason. Like each of the last three playoffs, right around 50%, half of the runs scored have been via home runs. And this gets back to like what I was talking about earlier is that you're just like not seeing bad pitching as much anymore like you're getting like you're seeing the best relievers you're seeing teams that are pitching like much more consistently to game plans they're designed to exploit your weaknesses it's just so much harder to kind of string together hits and play small ball and like get uh you know single double single that that can you know score some runners without a home run like i just really do think you need to hit homers in the postseason in order to be successful and the blue jays to this point just have not hit as many homers as you'd expect them to i don't know what the reason for that is but i think it could be something that's really troublesome to their ability to win in october Oh, yeah, it's a problem. Hitting home runs, we've said this many times, but hitting home runs like the best possible thing you can do. Always want to do that. There's no better outcome possible. And the Jays, I mean, they might have one 20 homer hitter. Like, who knows? Is George, George Springer's at 19. Like, I could easily imagine him not hitting another one. Bo Bichette's at 18. No guarantees there. So, you know, they just haven't had a ton of power. And like you say, it really is a tough recipe for success to try to string together. You think you're going to get, you know, three hits 
in a row and get a rally going that way. You know, Kirk to Varsho to Kiermaier and get three singles and have Kirk make his way all the way around the bases if you're facing Pablo Lopez and, and you know, Yoan Duran. Like, I, I don't know. I, that's, that's a tough way to do it. So, yeah, I, I think the odds are stacked against the Blue Jays in a lot of ways. And that starts with them not having a first round buy if they even get it in. It's Then it's like you don't have a lot of power. So they're stacked against the Jays, but they're also stacked against the Twins and they're stacked against the Brewers and stacked against even the Dodgers. Like it is an uphill climb for every team. Every team in baseball at this point is likely to be eliminated at some point very soon. And so the hope is that you just kind of overcome those odds and you overcome those imperfections on this team, but they definitely exist. I'll put it this way. The Blue Jays have failed to hit a home run in 45 of their 150 games this year. So basically like one out of every three games, they do not hit a home run. Last October, so last postseason, a team failed to hit a home run in a game 25 times last postseason. Those teams lost 18 of those 25 games. They averaged 2.1 runs in those 25 games games i just think that this is a team that's going to need to find a way to get some balls over outfield fences in a hurry if it's going to be successful through october and if you got a guess guess nothing wrong with that i think what vlad jr is doing is working whatever that is get brandon belt back i think he's low-key uh hugely important to this team but yeah you gotta you gotta hit some bombs No kidding. Uh, We're going to step away, but plenty more to cover from Blue Jays land when we continue on At The Letters. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It continues on At The Letters. Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith. Our producer is Christian Ryan. Want to take just a moment off the top to do something that I don't think that people do enough. And that is appreciate how rare it is that the Blue Jays are getting the level of starting pitching that they are right now. Like you almost have to like fight the proclivity to just think that this is just normal. (laughs) That this is that what the Blue Jays are doing from a starting rotation standpoint is should just be expected. Like this is incredibly rare in today's game. The Blue Jays are going to have four starters get up over 30 starts. They're going to have three of those four flirt with 190, 200 innings. I mean, you say Kikuchi will probably get up towards 170, 175. Um, You're talking about four guys atop your rotation who are all averaging over five innings per start with over 30 starts made in the season. The Blue Jays have used seven starting pitchers this year. Bassett, Barrios, Gosman, Kikuchi, Manoa, Richards, <laughs> and uh, and I'm forgetting one, but Ryu. there's Ryu, excuse me, oh my goodness, yeah, Hunjin Ryu. How could you um, Swung on and missed, Ryu strikes out Turner. Yeah, you just kind of forget that the guy came off of his second Tommy John surgery and is now like contributing really meaningfully in a postseason race. It's kind of wild. But the Blue Jays have used only seven starting pitchers this year. That's the fewest in baseball. MLB average is 13. You got teams like the Red Sox and Reds that have used 17. The Royals and A's have used 22. Um, like the, the Blue Jays are tracking to finish with four starters with 30 plus starters 
starts and sub four ERAs. That has happened only three times over the last decade, the 15 and 16 Cubs and the 2018 Houston Astros. What you are seeing from this Blue Jays rotation is really rare, really exceptional. Yeah, it it really is. You don't want to take any of it for granted, but I think with Kevin Gosman, like going into the year, he was my Cy Young pick. He might have been your Cy Young pick. I don't, I don't remember. But, you know, it was clear Kevin Gosman was like, he was locked in. He was an ace. It, you know, this is, you kind of expect this. Even though, I mean, that's still incredible performance. It's still like a great, great contract by the Blue Jays. And even off the field, Gosman's just been tremendous. So, you know, even if we're going to take him for granted, which of course we shouldn't, even if we're going to take Chris Bassett for granted, then you look at Jose Barrios what a bounce back season to get to this point where he's like legit a number two starter. I have to admit, didn't see this coming. Uh, you know, there were times where I probably was pretty down on Barrios. Hey, he's doing really well. Full credit to him. Yusei Kikuchi, what a season. Huge swing and a miss there by Jonathan Ornelas. First strike out of the night for Kikuchi. If we had lined this up before the season as like, hey, what's the what's the 95th percentile outcome? It would look something like a sub four ERA with a huge volume of innings, which he's going to finish 165, something like that. We're talking about like 85th percentile outcome here for Yusei Kikuchi. It's it's really impressive. And there's no question it's been the backbone of this team. Yeah, you have four starters ranking within the top 20 across baseball in starts and innings pitched. That's nearly a quarter of the top 20 is yeah. on here. A fifth of the top 20 is on your team. Like it's, it's just like so, so rare and you might not see something like this again. And like, look like these workloads take a really substantial toll, right? I mean, like Chris Bassett has pitched on days. His back was locking up. He's pitched on days. His sinuses were infected. He pitched on a day. His wife was literally in labor. Kevin Gosman stopped throwing bullpens for a while to kind of help preserve his arm. And I think that's part of the reason why his like slider has been somewhat ineffective recently and why he hasn't been able to add that sweeper that he was working on is because the guy wasn't throwing bullpens for a while so just didn't have a chance to work on things like that like Jose Barrios has talked a lot about increasing the amount of time that he spends before and after starts working on his body you know the all the cold plunges and massages and red light therapy time in the gym being smart about workload when to push a bit harder with your lifts when to back off when to deload like everything that he can to earn those few extra percentage points of recovery he's really focusing on this right now nutrition as well it should be said and then we're seeing these guys make adjustments because look the more that you pitch um particularly for these guys like in the al east where it's you know boston seen barrios like three four times like you know the yankees tampa baltimore they've all seen these guys repeatedly like the league kind of figures out what you're doing and they make adjustments to you so now you're seeing these pitchers make adjustments back like you're seeing Chris Bassett be a bit of a chameleon and a bit of a different guy every time he's on the mound if the Blue Jays face Minnesota in the postseason Kevin Gosman's gonna have to make an adjustment because the twins have seen him uh and seen him really well this year and in prior seasons like Barrios over the last couple of months has gone back to like a sinker slurve guy he's put away the four seamer mostly and put away the change up especially because those pitches were getting hit because the competition was catching up like the four seamer location was starting to look a lot like it did last year throughout summer and the changeup was getting hammered in August opponents hit like 350 against it with a 600 slug he was giving up homers off his changeup a ton 
in August um, and his four-seamer as well. So he's leaned back into the sinker and slurve and just been really precise with his command of those two pitches and his tunneling of them to either side of the plate and had a lot of success with that adjustment. So I, ju- I just think, you know, all of that stuff that goes into logging these kinds of workloads and continuing to be effective throughout is what's really most impressive about it. It's interesting because moving forward, they still line up really well. So Gosman would line up for game 162, which, as we said, obviously, if they've clinched, uh, if, they're, if there's nothing to play for at that point for the Blue Jays, they will bump Kevin Gosman. If, you know, for example, it's clear that they're going to Minnesota, clear that they're going to Tampa, you start Bowden Francis, bump Kevin Gosman, and then you go, boom, Gosman, Barrios, Bassett. That is your one, two, three in the wild card series. No need to overthink it. Just roll with it. And at least in my opinion, then if you need to, use Gosman to get into the postseason. Then you go Barrios, Bassett, Kikuchi, and then that's your one, two, three. And then Gosman at that point pitches game one of the division series. It actually kind of lines up pretty nicely. And in those scenarios, you just use Ryu as a long guy out of the bullpen. I don't think he's necessarily pitched to the point that you need to, you know, uh, find ways to, you know, maneuver him into a playoff rotation. I think you're probably more content with him as a long guy, but things line up actually pretty well the way things are, are set up currently. Do you start getting cute with it if you get a Twins versus a Rays or an Orioles instead of a Twins? Like, how do you think that opponent would play into how the Blue Jays line things up for those three games? You know, I would take a look at it. I would be open to it, but I, I'm not inclined to overcomplicate it too much. I, I'm really not. I, like, do you see it differently? I haven't dived too deep into the numbers right now, but to me, like... Bassett's been really good. He can face any of those lineups. I'm comfortable with him. Certainly wouldn't put Ryu against them in any circumstance except for an injury in the first round. But, you know, I would have Kikuchi as the four behind Bassett as things stand now. Yeah, I think that, you know, Kevin Gosman is starting my opener. Hopefully I don't have to use him for 162. And he's starting my opener, like, against whoever it is. And then where I could get cute is... Do I win the opener or do I lose it? And maybe that impacts who I use in game two. Where and this could be matchup dependent as well. You know, if I'm I'm facing a, a bunch of lefties, I might want to shy away from Bassett and and go to Brios. Um, you know, I don't know if I'm facing a bunch of righties. I mean, Bassett's been so effective against them. Swing and a miss, and it gets Duvall. He's uh, one of those pitchers that you'll face and you never feel overmatched. You always feel like you got a chance, but Chris Bassett throws you something you weren't expecting. Yeah, I see. If it's the Rays, they match up so well against, you know, uh, you know, really whoever you throw out there. Um, and we know that the Blue Jays also think about who they start and how long their starter stays in a game in the context of what pinch hit decisions the opposition is going to make later in yeah. the game. And they kind of try to anticipate the moves that, you know, a, a Kevin Cash or Rocco Belladelli or a Brandon Hyde would be making later on. And they try to kind of take a little bit of the punch out of those earlier if they can. So this all is dependent on opponent. But I think that if Kevin Gosman starts the first game and he wins it, that's where I could get a little cute with who I start in game two, see if I can get by with a, a win there and have my more optimal guy lined up for game one of a DS on the road. So, so what would you do in game two in that scenario? Like it depends on the opponent. It's probably going to depend a bit on recent form as well. But right. if I win game one, 
So say you've got your three starters, right? And so, so just just say Gosman Barrios Bassett, right? You got your yeah. three starters for that series. And let's say just for the purpose of the argument that you feel better about Barrios at that time than about Bassett for whatever reason, recent performance, yeah. whatever it is. If I win game one with Kevin Gosman, I might go with the guy who I feel less good about in game two to see if I can get through with a win in game two yeah. and save the guy I feel better about to open the DS. You know what I'm saying? Interesting. Yeah, I, I see I see what you're saying there. Like, I, I think I would still just stack it because then I I want those guys knowing just with their own schedule when they throw their sides. I just want them knowing, all right, you're pitching Tuesday, you're pitching Wednesday, and just almost instilling that extra amount of belief in them that, like, doesn't matter. You're our guy, ride or die. Like, you're out there instead of, like, having, like, a little bit of a doubt. So I think I would keep it just one, two, three. But it's an interesting discussion. Yeah, no, I think that, like, there's some merit to doing it your way as well. I just think that winning game one, like, it just gives you, it opens more possibilities. It gives you more of a chance to yeah. get creative, knowing that you will have that that safety net of a game three if things don't go well in game two. So it's like, all right, you went with the guy who you don't feel good about in game two. Well, you still got the guy who you feel better about available for game three if it gets there. Yeah, and I think like as long as we're talking about these, you know, twins raise matchups, which by far are the most likely as we record this, it's interesting to note that you know all of these starters that could potentially start playoff games for those op- opposing teams would be right-handed. So you're looking at Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan for the Twins. You got Tyler Glasnow, Zach Eflin, Aaron Savali for the Rays. They are all righties. So to me, this a you know we we touched on Brandon Bell briefly before. If he can get back, that would be massive as a starting DH against a lot of those guys. And then B, if Brandon Belt can't get back, or even if he can, Kevin Biggio then becomes really important. And it's a really good thing that he is playing as well as he is offensively and defensively. Because against a lot of those right-handed starters, I could see Kevin Biggio starting that game in some capacity. Yeah, no, totally. And it's good, you know, you get into then how you build out your bench depending on who you're um who you're facing in that wild card round. If you think there might be uh, you know, a Spencer Horowitz being like a lefty pinch hitter off the bench, someone that you you might go to if you look at their bullpen arms on either side and you say, Yeah, we see some matchups there for him. Or maybe there's a, a certain opponent where you think actually Ernie Clement's high contact bat is what we yeah. want from the right side because of how a bunch of their relievers profile and who we think they're going to be bringing into games in seventh and and eighth innings um that it gets interesting there with the blue jays as well and just who is sort of on in their bullpen within the circle of trust going into uh, a wild card series it's something that's like impossible to predict as we sit here today there's still 12 games remaining and reliever performance is so 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 volatile we've even seen just over the last week i mean the trust in genesis cabrera eroding and you know for good reason because he just has not been performing as well as he was earlier in his blue jays tenure hasn't been in the zone as consistently um you know and and we've seen jimmy garcia kind of fluctuate in terms of how you feel about him how you don't seems like when he's well rested he can come out and hit 99 and be really overpowering but it also seems like when he's on a back-to-back or you know pitching for the second time in three days maybe the stuff isn't quite as effective chad green's trust in this bullpen i think is like skyrocketed rocketed yeah. over the last 
few outings. You know, when he first came back from Tommy John surgery, it's a little bit shaky. I think he was still trying to find it. It was interesting. I caught up with him recently and he said like the last thing to come for him has been velocity. And you hear something different from everybody who comes back from Tommy John surgery. Some guys say, oh, it's the trust in throwing, you know, in in my location or it's like the command of my curveball. It's the snap on my slider. With Green, it really was velocity. And he's been searching for that since he got back on a mound after his rehabilitation. And it seems like in his last couple of outings, he's actually really found it and had a little bit of an extra gear. So I think Chad Green's uh, trust in this bullpen has gone up a lot. It's going to be interesting just to see who John Schneider, Pete Walker feel like they can really go to in extremely high leverage spots come early October. Yeah, and I I think you got to ride the wave. Like I actually think in some cases... You got to take the big picture view. You've got to understand that a guy can slump for 30 at bats and still be really productive, and you have to have that patience. But with relievers, I actually think it makes sense to be a little bit more sensitive game to game because, you know, if you look at someone's season numbers, it can be deceiving. And this is where, like, Trevor Richards, he's been a really important part of this team. But I actually think it was a mistake by John Schneider to go to him in that Rangers series when he did. And he justified it after the game saying that Trevor Richards has all these strikeouts. All right, that was his thought process. But Trevor Richards has not been very effective lately. So, you know, and and look, you know, managers are going to make mistakes. I'm not saying that's the end of the world. But I do think that that was a spot where it was a little too much trust in a guy. And Genesis Cabrera now, I think we've kind of seen he's throwing 99. You love the 99, but can't locate it. You can't locate it right now. So to me, going to, to Genesis Cabrera in a high leverage spot, that's a mistake right now. Don't do it. Let him work his way back. But Chad Green, on the other hand, he has earned that. So you go to Chad Green in a big spot or Swanson or like they have a great bullpen where, you know, I think that that should be said in any discussion here because Richards and Genesis Cabrera are like their seventh or eighth relievers on this team. So that's a great place to be in. But you feel a lot more confident right now in Chad Green because of how he's locating, because of the velo, because of everything that goes into these outings, his strike throwing ability. All of that is coming together for Chad Green, as well as some of their other, you know, relievers who we probably don't give enough credit to, like a Jordan Romano, like a Tim Meza, Swanson. These guys have been pretty consistent all year long and can still be trusted in leverage. Well, yeah, I think to your point, like the Blue Jays have really good bullpen depth right now where it's like, oh, Jordan Romano isn't available to close a game. Okay, here's Jordan Hicks. He throws 102. It's like, yep. oh, well, you know, Yanis Cabrera, like we can't really trust him right now to get, you know, to locate his 99 against lefties. Okay, here's Tim Meza, who has like a one nothing ERA on the season. Guys who aren't even on this roster right now, like Jay Jackson and Bowden Francis are guys who showed yeah. really well at the big league level. And they're not there at AAA Right. Nate Pearson was just called up. Nate Pearson, this is like the last guy in your bullpen. This is your up and down dude from AAA. He throws 100, you know, yeah. with like a, a good curveball and slider when he's commanding them. And like I, I was talking to Nate the other day and he was talking about how much more confident he's feeling in his curveball command right now, having worked on it at AAA over the last month. I mean, his last dozen appearances since he was sent down, he has like a, I think it's like a one and a half ERA. He's struck out over 30% of the dudes that he's faced at AAA. He's been working on like just throwing that curveball early in outings just to gain that confidence and that conviction. If he could 
land one in a spot he's trying to early in an appearance. He's like, okay, I have that pitch now. That's where I need it to be. And now the hitter knows I have it. The hitter knows I can land it. All of a sudden, 99 plays up a bit more because they know that they have to respect my breaking ball. I would not rule out like Nate Pearson going on a run over these next couple of weeks and showing something in the big league level and entering that conversation for like facing, you know, a a good part of the opposition lineup in the sixth inning or the seventh inning. Like we've seen Nate Pearson pitch himself into those situations just earlier this year. It's not out of the question that he could do that again down the stretch. As you said, the Blue Jays have to be a lot more reactive to who's pitching well out of a bullpen and who's not, who's tired, who's rested, who has conviction confidence who doesn't you know there's there's a lot of different ways that the blue jays could go as they enter the postseason in terms of who they trust and leverage spots but like the best benefit that they have with this bullpen that they've built is pretty strong depth and i think that's going to serve them well oh yeah and i think like to me it's one of the best bullpens in baseball it's the best blue jays bullpen in the last 10 years it's elite it's really 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 good now because they're playing these really close games and because relievers are human too and are going to miss location at times, like there are probably going to be a couple moments where some of these relievers allow devastating home runs or devastating <laughs> doubles into the gap, right? Like they're, they will make mistakes just as anyone does. But, you know, I think it's hard for me to think of many bullpens, if any, that you'd rather have going into the postseason. So that's a really good spot to be. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else you want to touch on? Just as long as we're talking about these possible matchups for the wildcard round, I think there can be a little bit of a tendency to look past the Twins and to say, okay, whatever, AL Central. Again, they have some pretty good starting pitching. Pablo Lopez, really good. And I think also on the position player side, their record does not reflect how good they are. Royce Lewis came back late in the season. He's been awesome for them. Willie Castro missed a bunch of time. Been a really good pickup for them. Just a speed utility guy. Jorge Polanco missed a bunch of time. He's back. Their lineup is better now than it's been for big stretches of the season. The Twins are pretty good. Like, I'm not saying they're amazing, but the Twins are actually pretty good. So don't look past them. And, and, you know, the Rays, the Rays are one of the best teams in the American League. Like, to me, the Rays are the second best team. So whoever it is, it's going to be a tough matchup. And, you know, if the Jays can get there. But remember, whatever happens, you got to win four playoff rounds against really good teams. So it's going to be the first tough matchup of many. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it's it's the postseason tournament. Like you're going to see a tough team no matter what. I know that going in, you know, there's going to be a lot of discussion about oh, the Blue Jays should want to be the third wild card. They should want to, you know, face Minnesota. It's going to be such an easier matchup. It's three games against a big league team that's going to have at least two good starters, if not three, and power in their lineup and good arms coming out of the bullpen. So like no matter who you get, nothing's going to be easy. I would never put the odds in a, any postseason game beyond 55 to 45 like percentage <laughs> for either team i would just it's baseball it's in in a single game like i would just never feel confident going beyond yeah this team's a 55 percent chance to win yeah it's very close which means it'll be really fun if they get in and uh also probably very stressful so we'll see how that all unfolds I think we should shout out the Vancouver Canadians who uh, yeah. won the Northwest League title over the weekend, the fifth in the history of Vancouver Canadians. It's the uh, it's, it's the high A affiliate uh, of the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, they they were just had a pretty dominant year, honestly, uh, out at Bailey Stadium in Vancouver, which is like not only one of the best 
like the best atmosphere, the best environment that you're going to get in the Blue Jays system, but like one of the best minor league environments that you're going to see anywhere. Like they pack that place out, they get rocking, they have a great time. So a lot of interesting prospects on that team. And it's not easy to win a high A title because anybody who plays really well for you over the first half of the high A season is probably going to get promoted. (laughs) Is probably no longer going to be on your team over the second half. So, uh, you know, I think just it's, a credit to the job that Brent Lavely and, and his staff did out there and performing as well as they did. And, you know, it's just a lot of names that I think that um, not necessarily next season, but maybe two, three, four years down the road, like you're going to be hearing about them in Blue Jays uniforms and you're going to be seeing them at the big league level, whether that's like a Josh Kosevich or a, a Kay Doty, a Gabriel Martinez, you know, on the pitching side, Devro Harrison had a great year. Adam Mako, who was like part of the return for Teoscar Hernandez, along with Eric Swanson. He uh, like has a really big arm from the left side and like control and command has been an issue and staying healthy has been an issue, but he ended the season on an absolute tear. 217 ERA over his final eight starts, opposition batting average of 152, struck out 37% of the hitters he faced over his final eight, and a guy who the Blue Jays have to make a decision on this winter because he would be Rule 5 draft eligible if he isn't added to the 40-man, and it's not hard to imagine a team somewhere looking at his arm from the left side, mid-90s fastball, and a couple of breaking pitches, a change-up, and thinking this is someone who we could sneak through in our bullpen throughout the season, especially if we're a non-competitive team, and keep him on our roster, and now all of a sudden Adam Mako is a Kansas City Royal or an Oakland Athletic or whoever. So someone who I think the Blue Jays have to really think about adding to their 40-man roster this offseason so some some really interesting names there in vancouver contributing to that northwest league championship for sure congrats to uh, everyone involved there that's a it's a big moment and nice to see baseball uh thriving in vancouver that's that's awesome as well moving beyond baseball just want to shout out our longtime executive producer amal delich who um is no longer with sportsnet uh moved on to a different opportunity but was a big part of at the letters for a number of years helping guide things behind the scenes and establish um you know some big asks and some some of our vision here behind the scenes so amal thanks so much and uh best of luck with what's ahead yeah, here, here. Obviously, did a ton of work with the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast as well. If you listen to Freege and Merrick and the the great work that they do, uh, he will be missed. But he's going to do really good things in his new venture. So uh, all the best, to Amal. That's right. Okay, that's going to be it for us. The fun continues. The Blue Jays are in the Bronx. Then they're at the Drop. Then they come home, and it's the Yankees and the Rays again. And then it is postseason baseball. Maybe uh, by the time we talk to you next week, we. I, I expect we'll have a better idea, but honestly, considering the last week, maybe we won't. <laughs> we probably, yeah, we probably won't. won't. It'll be a guessing game until like the Saturday. Yeah, we probably won't have any idea. But uh, hey, you know what? It's almost as if by expanding the postseason and uh, making the schedule more balanced and putting a whole bunch of interdivisional games in towards the end of that 162 game season, uh, the powers that be have designed things for this to be the situation. It's a pretty good setup, right? Yeah, seems like it. Uh, I'm having fun watching it. Hope all of you are as well. Want to thank Christian Ryan for producing this week. He's Ben Nicholson Smith. I'm Arden Zwelling. We will talk to you next time on At the Letters.